All right, well, thank you for joining me this morning, church family. It's great to be with you guys. We're going to continue on now in our, um, our process that we're doing this year. We're going through the Bible together. We took a little bit of a pause from that last Sunday on Easter Sunday and celebrated Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and the new life that we have in Him. And now I want to talk to you guys about an essential part of that resurrection life, an essential part of our new life that we have in Him. And we're going to do it by diving into a story found in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7. Um, before I start, I also just want to say, if you're doing the Bible reading, hang in there. Keep on keeping on. Man, it's, it's getting challenging at times. We look at hard seasons that Israel went through during the times of these different kings. We also see incredible, miraculous moments where God shows up and He touches people's lives. And so I want to encourage you, stick with it. If this is new to you or you've fallen off track, it's not too late. Tomorrow morning, Monday morning, we're starting a new week. Jump in with us as we wrap up 2 Kings. Um, I'm, I'm proud of you guys that have been hanging in there, and it's not too late to join in if this is new to you. All right, so here we go. We're going to jump into a story found in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7. I want to set the stage for you because this is a tough story. Um, there's really nothing easy about it. It's one of the most disturbing, difficult seasons of Israel's life. Um, King David has passed. His son Solomon has passed. And now we've moved into a time where Israel is split. Um, ten kingdoms, the northern ten tribes, they have established their own kingdom. They're called Israel or the North Kingdom. And this story this morning is about them and their capital city, Samaria. There's two other kingdom or two other tribes, excuse me, in the south that are now called Judah. And there's a king over those two tribes as well. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about them at a later time. But this morning we're looking at this northern kingdom of Israel and their capital city of Samaria. The king is there. A lot of people are gathered there. The prophet Elisha is there. He's kind of the man of God of this day and time. And they have been besieged. The king of Syria has come with a large army. He has surrounded the city. And time has passed now, and it's getting brutal. It's ugly. Um, there's a famine now inside of the city. The people are desperate and in despair. It's not just that there's an enemy outside the gates holding them captive. It's that thing in, things inside the gates in the city, they're getting horrible. The conditions are rough. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning as we explore this story is I want to encourage you about a specific area of our lives as followers of Jesus that we can find ourselves in, where we've met Jesus, He's rescued and saved us, we have new life in us because of Him, but we can find ourselves in a place where we're stuck, an area where we've been trapped maybe for a long time, maybe it's something new going on in our lives. But because of the life we have in Jesus, He's not just about saving us for heaven and then saying, good luck, I'll see you there one day. Jesus is interested in touching our everyday lives, in bringing healing, freedom, and wholeness. He's interested in setting us free from places where we feel stuck or captive. And so I want to talk about this morning as we look at this story is how we can escape when we are surrounded and in despair. 
All right. So there's three key things we're going to look at today. The first thing is this. When we find ourselves in a stuck place, the most important thing is, first of all, to have an honest assessment of the problem. Honesty is of utmost importance. As I've spent times over the years with people, I've sat through very hard things with people, and I've, I've faced difficult challenges in my own life, I've watched people on the verge of their marriages falling apart. And I can tell you, every single time, one of the first things I do is I encourage people, we've got to face the facts. We got to be honest. We got to be honest with ourselves, and we've got to be honest with the people that are right there in it with us. And so as we start out this story, the scripture just paints a very real picture of what's happening. And so in 2 Kings chapter 6 now, verses 24 and 25, says that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, he mustered his entire army and he went and besieged Samaria. That's that capital city of Israel, the northern tribes I was talking about. And there was a great famine in that city as they besieged it. Until a donkey's head, that's kind of weird, but hold on. A donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. And a fourth part, a quarter of a cob, that's a measurement, a cob, of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Whoa, what is going on in this story? The people are besieged by an army. There's a famine in the land. And now the scripture is telling us about the cost of a donkey head and dove's dung. Well, let me, let me give you some perspective here because the scripture is actually getting very specific and very accurate about how bad things were. First of all, they were at a point that they were so desperate to find something to eat that they would literally purchase the head of a donkey just to figure out what from that they could eat. And it was selling, the scripture says, for 80 shekels. And I'm going to give you some perspective on that amount in just a minute. The second thing it talks about is probably not actually dove's dung. That was more of like a slang or a phrase for a type of pulse, which is an edible seed of like a legume. So picture a chickpea, something like that. That's the type of item. Now, it gave us an amount. It gave us a size. The size that it's describing roughly equates to about a cup. So imagine one cup of chickpeas was selling for five shekels. So these people were so hungry and so desperate, they would spend 80 shekels on a donkey's head, five shekels on a small cup of chickpeas. Now to put this in perspective, Elisha tells us when he's describing how things are about to change, that when order gets restored to the city, he says two gallons of flour, like good flour that you could use to make bread, two gallons of flour are going to cost one shekel. So a small cup of chickpeas versus two gallons of flour or four gallons of barley, he said, those will cost one shekel. And these little chickpeas cost five. This donkey's head cost 80 shekels. D does that give you a sense of the perspective? I realize these are items that we maybe can't relate to, but the point is these were desperate times. And people were willing to spend a fortune to eat something awful, undesirable. They're taking the scraps of what they could find. Listen, the scripture is honest and we're called to be honest. Now, it's in this context that the king is walking along the wall. Now, at first glance, he's doing what we should do, right? Take an honest assessment. And so he's walking the wall of the city and taking a look at things. And 
You know, I think that's right and good. He's, he's taking an overview. But then something crazy happened, something so tragic and so desperate, but it was eye-opening. This woman calls out to the king and wants to talk to him. And she says, hey, I have a problem and I need you to look closer. I need you to pay attention. And so 2 Kings, now I'm going to read um, portions of verse 26, 28, and 30, because I want you to see what happens as the king begins to pay closer attention to what's really going on. And so as the king of Israel, this is verse 26 now, was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, help me, Lord, O king. And the king asked her, verse 28, what is your trouble? And when he finished hearing what the woman said, verse 30 tells us that the king heard the words of this woman and he tore his clothes. Now, I want to be as careful as I possibly can here, but the scripture is not gentle. What this woman describes is that things have gotten so desperate that people have resorted to cannibalism. And she tells a horrible story about her and her child and another mother and her child and how desperate things have gotten that they've resorted to cannibalism. It's, it's as awful as it gets. It's as brutal as it gets. And it, it absolutely wrecks the king when he sees honestly what's really going on. Listen, I believe many of us, when we're facing trouble, when we're in our season of being besieged, being surrounded, we settle for the bird's eye view. We think we have a good handle on what the problem is, but we guard ourselves a little bit from the truth. And like the king, we just sort of walk around it and look at it from a distance and go, yeah, that's, that's pretty rough. I'd rather not think about that. I'm going to head back to my quarters now. But this woman cried out for him to see the truth. And the first step for us to be set free is, am I willing to get real? Am I willing to look with honest eyes, with clear eyes at the depth of the problem that I'm stuck in? And so the scripture, it's specific, brutally honest at times. Well, the question is, are we willing to be brutally honest? Let's look at our big picture for just a minute, right? We're in the middle of this coronavirus and there's things we're suddenly aware of. I'm aware of how uncomfortable I am, how frustrated I am. Maybe I'm even starting to recognize some things about myself that I'm seeing as a result of what's happening. Maybe I'm just looking around at the world and maybe there's some glimpses of hope here. Maybe there's some major desperation in how people are taking things. Um, but this big picture view that we see, some things have kind of been exposed by the coronavirus and we notice it because we're uncomfortable. But can I just say to you, there've been some big picture problems for quite a while that go well beyond what we're seeing in this coronavirus. There's already sickness in the city. Think about just some of the devastating things going on. How many lives are ravaged and even taken because of the opiate crisis? How much violence are there in some of our cities where people are terrified even to go out in their neighborhoods because of what trouble they might face? We live in a violent day and age. I mean, good night. We're devastated by this story of cannibalism, but guys, let's get real. Abortion is taking lives at a massive rate in our country. 
People are sacrificing their children for the sake of their own benefit. It's devastating. And listen, they're doing that because things seem so desperate. I'm stuck. I'm in trouble. I don't know where else to turn. The big picture view is devastating. Now listen, I don't want us to just stop there because if we just look at the big picture view, it's, it's beyond us and it can feel hopeless. So let's bring it back down to our level. What's going on in my life? What's my view right now? How, how am I disrupted right now by the coronavirus? But what things might be getting exposed as a result of what I'm facing that need to be exposed? What are the issues going on in my life? What's happening in my city? See, that's the real question. Will I face the truth with honesty and clarity no matter what I might find there? Guys, this is the starting point. Now, we don't stay there. We don't stay there. What we do next is important. And so while honesty is key, properly combining an honest assessment with this next point is what will move us towards freedom. And so the second thing that is utmost importance is how do we react in view of our reality? How do we react? Let's take a look at how the king reacts when he gets an honest view of the situation. The first thing that happens is when the woman cries out for help, look at what he says in 2 Kings 6.26 in response to her. If the Lord will not help you, how should I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? Look at the language he's using. He's saying, I feel helpless. And then he relates the way he's feeling to the threshing floor or the wine press. Listen, at the simplest level, what he's saying is the threshing floor. That's the place where you would beat the wheat in order to separate out the wheat from the chaff. He's saying, I feel beaten right now. Or the wine press. I feel crushed. I feel stomped on. I feel helpless. When I look at this situation, I just recognize how beat up and helpless and discouraged I feel. Then he goes another step. He sends a messenger to talk to Elisha, the prophet Elisha, because he is in despair and he doesn't know what else to do. And this messenger is actually bringing a message of anger towards Elisha. And so the messenger shows up and in 2 Kings 6.33, he carries this message from the king. He says, this trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? See, the king is not only at a place of feeling helpless, and beat up and discouraged, he's at a place of questioning God. This is God's fault. He caused this. He's doing this to me. Why should I keep waiting on him? Why should I hope in him? Guys, these are real things that we face when there's trouble. I don't know about you, but I have been in a place where I have felt helpless and crushed and defeated. I've been at a place where I felt like, God, what are you doing to me right now? Why would you do this to me? And because I feel that way, I don't even feel like I could wait on him or turn to him for hope and for help. Well, Elisha, he offers some hope and he communicates, guys, we're on the cusp of change. Things are going to be dramatically different tomorrow. And the king's messenger, when he hears this message of hope, that things are about to change. They're on the cusp of getting better and being different. Hold on. 
when he hears that message, this is what he says. This is now 2 Kings 7, verse 2. If the Lord himself should make the windows in heaven open, could this thing be? Oof. Even as hope is being extended, he can't hear it. He can't receive it. He says, "How God could do something about this? This seems too big for him. Even if he opened the windows of heaven, he could change things that dramatically? Listen, one of the hardest things to believe when life feels hopeless, when we've taken a good, honest look about the places where we are stuck or overwhelmed, is to dare to believe that it could get better and to dare to believe that we could look to God for hope. Isn't this his fault? Isn't this of his doing? What do we do? Where do we turn? And I just have to tell you, before we move any further, we're going to see a different perspective in a moment. But before we move any further, man, I, I hope that you'll heed this warning. We need to beware because when we give up hope, I'm not talking about moments where we're struggling and wrestling. I'm saying when we give up hope and we've lost our ability to trust in God, it can rip us off from the coming freedom. The prophet Elisha looks at this guy who said, I don't believe God can do that. And he looks at him and in the rest of verse two, he says, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Oh, what a crushing reality. The hope that God has promised, it's coming, but you personally are gonna miss out on it because you've lost hope, because you're not trusting that God is good and he will rescue just as he's promised. So we have an honest assessment and then we have a critical decision to make. Will I have a hopeful outlook or will I get lost in this trap that we all face of feeling personally helpless and beat up, questioning God, even wondering if he's the cause of this and finding it difficult to believe that he can rescue. But there is a different perspective. As we move now into the story, the story begins to shift and it focuses on these four guys. They're four lepers that are right in the middle of this siege. And they're right in the middle of this famine, but they're not even allowed to be inside the city. As bad as it is in the city, they're stuck out at the edge. They're by the gate. They're completely alone. They're rejected by society because they're lepers and they're starving. And we come across these four guys who begin to wrestle with what their perspective is and what are they going to do in this situation. And so 2 Kings chapter 7 now, beginning in verse 3. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? Man, that is a great question to ask. Why are we sitting here till we die? Why are we just accepting that this is our reality? Why are we just going to live with this until the day that we die? Verse 4, if we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city. So they're, they're having an honest assessment. If we just sit here, we're going to die. We could go into the city, but what's there? There's no hope in the city. It's dark there. They're all lost in there. They're all hopeless in there. That's where the famine is and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. They feel like darned if I do, darned if I don't. It's rough here, it's rough in there, what are we gonna do? And then they continue on. So now come, 
and let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. What I love about the perspective of these guys is that there's a mix of honesty and hope. They're not sugarcoating the situation. They're being real about it. If we keep sitting here in the status quo, we're going to be stuck forever until we eventually die. If we try to look towards the city where everyone else is lost and hopeless and there's a famine, there's no hope there either. So what do we do? Well, hey, we're only four guys with leprosy, but maybe we could go face the enemy head on and see what happens. Maybe we could go out to enemy territory and we might live. We might find some hope out there. And if we don't, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? We're going to die. Hey, we're dead here already. And so these guys have a sense of honesty and hope. Now, I want to encourage us right here for just a moment before we continue any further. My friend, you and I, we have a hope that is larger than the hope those guys were aware of. They're just hoping to find some food and maybe not get killed and just kind of survive in somewhat better circumstances. But we sit here today knowing the hope of Jesus, the resurrection life that we just celebrated last Sunday. It's available to us. If there were ever people who could say, the worst that can happen is I'll die, it's us because we have the hope and promise of eternal life. And so, yes, we should get real and not sugarcoat the hard circumstances that we might be facing. But we should be able to find a hopeful outlook that says the worst case scenario is I've got an eternity in heaven ahead of me. And in the here and now, if I'm willing to be honest about my situation, and adopt a hopeful outlook, maybe there's an opportunity for freedom. Maybe there's an opportunity for change. Maybe my deep hunger will be, will be met. Maybe my deep need for healing will come. Maybe I'll be set free from the captivity that this enemy has caused in my life. If we're willing to face our problems head on, mixed with some faith, then we can shake free of the mentality that says, I'm helpless, it's God's fault, and there's no hope for me. And instead, I can look honestly at my life and my situation. I can find a hopeful outlook in Jesus, and I can make a bold and courageous move forward to face the enemy head on. And that is point three this morning. The way for us to be set free, friends, an honest look, a hopeful outlook, and then a bold move forward. That's what God calls us to, and it's what he has for us. I want you to take a look at the story as it wraps up now with these four lepers. Second Kings chapter 7, they kind of finish this reasoning together and decide we're going to take a chance on hope. And in verse 5, so they arose at twilight. It's not dark yet. It's on the cusp of darkness. It's in those waning hours of the day. And so they say, hey, before it's too dark and the night is too far gone, let's get up and go right now. I love that they didn't wait till morning. 
They could have said, oh, it's getting close to the end of the day and it's going to be dark and maybe we should just, you know, wait till morning. Let's sleep on it one more night. I wonder how many of us have been telling ourselves that for far too long and we've stayed stuck in night when there was hope at twilight. And so these guys, they got up and they arose at twilight. Mark that in your Bible. Put a little exclamation point because we're going to see it again in a second. They arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. They go out to face the enemy. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said one to another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt, and they're coming against us. Verse 7, So they, the Syrians, the enemy, they fled away in the twilight. At the same moment that these four lepers, these outcasts, these discouraged and beat down guys, these guys who were starving and trapped and in famine, they had no army. They had no resource. They had a little bit of faith and a little bit of courage. And when they got up and started moving at twilight, what the enemy heard was a massive army come rolling in and at the same moment those guys got up to move, the army fled in defeat because these four lepers were not alone. God was with them. And four small, lowly lepers combined with the living God is more than enough army to conquer and defeat any enemy. And so they arrive on the scene and what they find is that these guys have abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys. They left the camp as it was and fled for life. The enemy is now on the run. Now look at the results of this, verse eight. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent, they ate and they drank and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. When these guys decided to take a bold and courageous move, what they discovered is that God was right there with them. That the enemy not only left, they didn't just get out of some bondage. Listen, their needs were met at a level that blew their minds. Their hungry bellies were filled. This huge thing that had been lacking, it was satisfied. But not only were they filled momentarily, they found a rich treasure there. Friends, I know what I'm talking about this morning. Listen, I'm not free from difficulty and trials and struggles. I face them. But I can also say to you, by the grace of God, I've looked at some hard moments in my life and said, oh God, everything in me wants to run and hide, wants to turn and blame you or just get caught up in beating myself up. But God, I'm gonna dare to believe that you're good, that you can rescue me. Church family, I can tell you in all sincerity, I've watched God not just set me free from something that was eating my lunch. I've seen myself grow richer, richer in my faith, 
richer in my marriage and my relationships, more equipped and able to face the realities of the day because God blew me away from the resources of his treasure. That when, when we are willing with God on our side, in us and with us to go face the enemy, that what we will find there is a great treasure on the other side of our victory. God has riches for us that we can take part in here and now if we're willing to be courageous enough to stand up to the enemy and fight. We don't fight alone. Now, here's the beauty of this picture. I want to bring us back to this. These guys, you know, they got fed and they got treasure. As far as we know from the story, they stayed lepers. But we have a God our God, Jesus, and he is a God that heals lepers. He is not um, scared off by the grossest things about us. He's not intimidated by them. He's not scared of them. In fact, he reaches right down into our mess. See, he doesn't just free us from an external enemy. He's willing to come in close to the grossest parts of us the most difficult, disgusting, hard places where we're stuck. And he sees us and he loves us and he sets us free. There's this really cool story that's recorded in in Matthew chapter eight, Mark chapter one, Luke chapter five. They all seem to be about the same story. Um, Matthew's gospel records that this story is actually the first miracle that happens after after the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember last Sunday's message, we were talking about Jesus saying, I'm the foundation of life. And people saw that he spoke with authority and his resurrection proved that he has all authority. Well, after that moment, he comes down from that mountain and the crowds are following him. And I want to read from Mark's gospel, this account, but a leper approaches him. Mark chapter one, verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. See, here's the thing, friends. Our enemy, it's not just external. Our enemy often is something happening right here, personally, inside, internal. Something that we're struggling with or facing. Some sin in us that we just feel gross and ashamed about. Some fear that we battle. Something that's happened to us. That even though it was done to us by someone else, man, it has heaped on this sense of shame and ugliness. And I just have to say to you, Jesus sees us as we are and he loves us. See, the courage we need to find is not to go face some enemy that's out there somewhere. Things are different for us. In Jesus, our enemy is defeated. When we do an honest assessment of our need, and we muster up some hope and have a positive outlook, what we're going towards is not an enemy. We're going towards our Savior, Jesus. We're going to Him. We're finding ourselves in His arms. And what we are going to find there is a loving and compassionate God who sees, who knows, and who cares for us. Look at Jesus' reaction to this leper. Verse 41, Jesus was moved with pity And he stretched out his hand and touched him. 
Think about the implications of that. Lepers had to stay away from people. And if they got anywhere nearby, they had to yell out, unclean, unclean. They couldn't allow people to touch them and no one wanted to. But this guy mustered up some faith to say, I'll come in my brokenness, in my uncleanness. And Jesus, I will cry out to you for help. And Jesus looked with love and compassion and he wasn't afraid. And he reached out and he touched him and he said, I'm willing. And he made him clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Friends, Jesus is not afraid to get his hands dirty. He is willing and capable to set us free and make us clean. And he loves us enough to do something about it. Friends, if you're feeling stuck, I just want to encourage you as kind of an application point this morning in conclusion. If you're stuck, be honest. Don't just do the bird's eye view. Don't just circle it and pretend like maybe it'll be okay. Or if I just wait, it'll go away. Be willing to get real and honest about the place where you're stuck. And then I want to encourage you as you look Your tendency will be to react the way the king does in this story, to feel helpless and in despair, to feel like, how could God let this happen to me? Maybe he even did this to me to punish me. Surely he won't open up the windows of heaven to bring me hope. Fight that off. Find some faith in your heart to take God for who he is, to have a hopeful outlook and believe that a bold move could make all the difference that a courageous move towards Jesus could be the very thing that brings his loving touch into your life to heal and to set you free. One last thing I want to say this morning. If you've been watching this sermon and you're hearing everything I'm covering and and for you, you're in a, a wonderful position of this being a past tense kind of a thing for you. If you're watching all this and You're reflecting back on ways that the Lord has touched your life and set you free and rescued you. I want to leave you with this word. The last thing in the story is these four lepers are sitting there and they're getting this bounty. They're enjoying this treasure. Their bellies are full. They pause. And in the middle of the night, they look at each other and they say this, 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 9. Then they said one to another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. What are they saying? They're saying, hey, this is a day of good news for us, but it's night for the city. They don't know the freedom that's at hand. They're still starving. They're still in famine. And if we sit around and just take this in for ourselves and we don't share the good news with the city, they stay stuck in the night when they are meant to experience the light of morning. And so I just want to encourage you guys, if this is a past tense thing for you, if Jesus has radically set you free in some specific areas of your life, share that good news You might be the voice of Elisha to somebody that can shine a light in the midst of darkness and offer hope. Friends, that's what's available to us this morning, hope. 
We can be honest, but we can find a hopeful outlook and take a bold and courageous move towards the Lord. Or for some of us, it might be time to start taking some bold and courageous moves towards others to share the hope and truth of what Jesus has done in our lives to set us free and to bring us into new freedom instead of being besieged in the city. I love you, friends. I'm praying for you. And I'm believing we will experience some freedom because of our resurrected Savior, Jesus. All right, let me pray for us this morning as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who speaks truth in love. And Lord, I pray that you would create in us a courage to look honestly at our lives. Lord, if there's something that you're wanting us to see in the midst of this season that we're in, there's something you want to highlight or expose that's got us trapped, that's causing us to be stuck in darkness. Lord, I pray that we would have eyes to see it clearly and honestly, that, Lord, you would inspire us with some hope. Lord, that we wouldn't feel alone or ashamed or helpless. And God, that we wouldn't turn against you and blame you. But God, we would recognize that you love us and you are for us and that you want us to see the truth and then have faith in you, that there's hope for freedom. God, may we find boldness to make a move towards you. And Jesus, we thank you that your hands are the hands of a healer, that you love us and that you're not afraid to get your hands dirty in order to clean us off and set us free. And so, Jesus, we look to you for hope. And finally this morning, Lord, I just pray for some courage. Lord, for those of us who've been radically set free, who are walking in and enjoying the life that we have in you, God, would we find some boldness to courageously share hope with a world that's desperately in need. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll see you again soon, church family. Love you guys.